Hey folks, you guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion, it's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com haunted. That's masterclass.com haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com haunted. I'll see you there. Haunted American History presents Zachary Christian Bain Birthing Day Part 4 Bolton Landing, New York Stephen Hargrove's alarm clock goes off at the same time every morning, 5.45. On his way out of his house, he carefully dodges the jet of water coming from his sprinklers and makes his way down his driveway to his modest 2014 Toyota Camry. He stops at the local grab-and-go gas station, grabs a large cup of coffee, a cheese danish, and the newspaper. He does this every morning. He eats the danish and shares a laugh with Scotty, the clerk. They banter for a few minutes over whatever local sports team had a game last night. Some light taunting takes place about which one of their favorite players played better, and Steven goes on his way. Same time tomorrow, Scotty. Unless I win lotto, I'll cross my fingers and toes for you, buddy. Steven makes his way back to his car and heads down a windy stretch of road that runs adjacent to Lake George. It was a brisk November morning. The trees up in his area of the world were starting to turn magnificent shades of reds, purples, and yellows. After the summer tourist season came to an end, the very brief fall season started, where the city folk from the south and their Canadian friends from the north came to visit to watch this amazing foliage change. When they were talking about Purple Mountain's majesty, this is what they were talking about. To hell with the Rockies. Stephen pulled into the parking lot of the Diamond Point Motel and pulled into his normal parking space second from the end. Out front was a family unloading their minivan, stacking luggage onto a cart to be wheeled inside. You folks checking in? Steven rushes over and helps the man pull out some of the bags out of the back of their van. He notices their camera equipment. Hey, if you want some great shots, head up this road right here. He points over their shoulder to the road across the street that crawls up a hill. And when you get to the fork at the top, hang left. It loops around to a lookout point over the lake. Something only the locals here know about, he says with a wink. Hey, thanks, the man says as his family joins him in a wide grin. No problem. Enjoy your time here. Name's Steven. 
He points to a name sewn on a patch on his jumpsuit. If you need anything, just ask. He waves to the family and makes his way inside the motel. Good morning, Jenny. Morning, Stephen. Here you go, doll. Stephen hands the 30-something woman behind the counter the coffee and the newspaper he picked up on his way in. Thank you, baby. Your package arrived. It's down in your office. Oh, perfect. Thanks. I'll catch you later. Say hi to mom for me. And have Russell check the parking lot around the side by the ice machine. There's a wicked pothole. Last thing we need is someone rolling an ankle. You got it, Shug. Love to love you. Steven makes his way out of the lobby toward the back room and down a flight of stairs. He reaches in his pocket and pulls out a janitor set of keys. Dozens of them linked together on an iHeart Lake George key ring. He unlocks the door at the bottom of the stairs that opens up to a storage room. The room is lined with metal shelves stocked with cleaning supplies, paint, and anything else you would need to keep a place clean and mechanically sound. He walks past a pegboard hung on the wall that was home to various hand tools. At the end of the board sat a small desk. He approached the desk which was cluttered with work orders. Room 12 had a leaky toilet. Room 7's air conditioner was on the fritz. The door hinges on room 2 needed to be replaced. Thinking to himself, he's going to have to write one up for that pothole that needs filling. And he takes a seat at the desk. He flicks through his key ring and stops on a small key that he uses to unlock the top drawer on the right-hand side. Inside that drawer is a small box that sits directly in the middle of it. It's empty aside from this. On top of that box is another keyhole. Cycling through more keys, he unlocks the box. Inside is a small green button. He presses it. Behind him, the wall slides open. A descending staircase sits behind it. Stephen makes his way down the stairs into a long corridor. At the end stands a tall metal door with two armed guards bookending it behind bulletproof glass. Identification, please. Stephen walks over to the wall next to the door and places his right hand on the dark screen and rests his eyes into a slot at head height. A green light pours out of the glass onto both his hand and his eyes, scanning both while he speaks into a microphone under the eye slot. Whistling Dixie. A robotic voice announces, Welcome, Director. As an airlock releases and the door opens. Behind it sits another long hallway. At the end of it sits a young blonde woman behind a desk with another door at her back. She is typing away as Stephen walks the hall toward her. The hallway is lined with windows. Behind them are men in full respirators and protective gear working in a very busy laboratory, measuring and mixes chemicals at a large scale. The walls behind these men are lined with small shelves. Each shelf is loaded with small vials of a pale colored liquid. Stephen makes his way to the desk and the young woman greets him. Good morning, Mr. Hargrove. Your package is waiting for you inside your office. Thank you, Rita. Jenny upstairs already filled me in. Also, your nine o'clock is here. Well, she was here. She just popped in and it appears that she's popped out. Yeah, she does that. It's fine. I wish to not be disturbed today, Rita, unless this place is burning down. I have a lot of work to do. You got it, boss. Stephen enters a dimly lit office through the door behind the reception desk. Inside, the walls are lined with bookshelves. There is a large wooden desk in the center of the room that looks like it was carved from the trunk of a single redwood tree. A full gym's worth of equipment tucked into the back right-hand corner of the room. Against the wall to the left, there is a set of luxurious brown leather couches in a semicircle facing each other. Sitting on top one of said couches is a man in his mid-forties 
He is bound around his shoulders, hands, and legs with yellow polypropylene rope. In his mouth is a ball gag. As Stephen walks past the struggling man, he lightly caresses his cheek. He approaches a wall with a dark red curtain hanging from it between two of the sets of bookshelves. He throws them open, and standing behind the curtain is a statue sitting up high on a podium. A statue of Lord Dracula. Aside from the statue, the room is filled with tall, dripping candles that Stephen lights before dropping to his knees. My lord, your day is almost upon us. I present you with this gift and my everlasting devotion. In your name I pray. Stephen bows his head for a minute in silence before quickly standing to his feet and rushing over to the man, making sure his work coveralls were zipped all the way to the top. He grabs the man by his thin hair and yanks him to his feet, all while he is struggling and mumbling with panic in his eyes. He holds his body close to his, the man's back pressing into his chest as he holds him around the shoulders. His life for you. May the warm shower be proof of what's to come. He brings his left hand up to his forehead and pulls his head back. With his other hand, he slices his throat with a five-inch retractable blade. The blood shoots from his open neck in a jet covering the statue with hot blood before running down the man's body and falling to the ground. A voice from behind him says, Why do you waste your efforts? The amount of blood you would need to spill in order to bring him back would equal that of this horrid country. Those are numbers people would notice. Yeah, but it's fun. I hope you have good news for me, Sybil. There stood a short, thin, silver-haired woman. Her bob haircut rested on a midnight blue cowl that sat on top of a light blue three-piece suit. I do indeed. They're dead? Stephen asked excitedly. Very much so. And the kids? Well, the girl is missing, but so is Cornelius. We are assuming he took her or he killed her somewhere else. And the boy? He made it to Cornelia. Okay, that's a small setback. Very small. Almost a non-issue. He knew nothing about our world, just like you theorized. John and Madge kept him very sheltered. He may as well be a null. By the time the boy figures out any of his abilities, it'll be far too late for him to make a difference. Besides, I have a failsafe in place. Your serum worked perfectly. Oh yeah? How did Cornelius react to it? How was it administered? It can't be linked to you, can it? What do you take me for? He was drugged by his barkeep the night prior. John got a call that morning to pull him from their home. The boy had left with John, but the girl stayed home with Madge. Cornelius was given the serum and let loose. The attack began as soon as Madge opened the door. She had no time to react. We feel as though the girl called her father right away. Our tale said he made an abrupt turnaround to head back to the house, but Cornelius on the serum was too much for him. You were right. The wolves are the perfect candidate for it. Their bones aren't as fragile as humans. And the barkeep? He was stabbed to death the next morning on his way to the market. A daytime mugging, they said. Tragic. Cordelia is obviously going to react to this. Oh, she already has. Putting together a new guardian team as we speak. Or at least attempting to. But get this. So far its candidates are a Frankenstein, a null wizard, the Bane Boy, and the rest of the Medwin clan. It really couldn't have worked out better. Who's leading it? No way Lawman can. Not in the shape he's in. No, no word from him yet. 
Cordelia is playing that one close, and Rosamond only knows what she needs to. Cordelia is actually leading them, and Rosamond is taking over the day-to-day at house. Stephen grimaces at this news. Okay, that's something we could do without. Her alone is a problem. We knew this was a possibility and we planned for it. Trust me, Stephen. Everything is working out the way it should. The birthing day ceremony is underway and we couldn't have asked for a better spot. Sybil's grin stretches across her face as she continues. Soon he will return. The fear brought to their world will be powerful enough to bring him back. The day they birth their guardians will be the day that we resurrect ours. And he will raise his army and we will take back our world. And there will be no one to stop us. We know the serum works and they will be locked in a dome with 13 wolves. Leave the rest up to me. Trust me, Stephen. Our time is coming. Hey, folks. You guys know I'm always diving into the dark corners of history, unearthing the stories that are sure to chill. Mastering the art of storytelling and research isn't just a passion. It's a craft. That's why I turned to Masterclass. Whether I'm analyzing historical documents or piecing together ghostly tales, Masterclass has been an invaluable resource in honing my skills. Masterclass lets you learn from over 200 of the world's best minds right at your fingertips. And the best part is it's all available for just $10 a month with an annual membership. I've been particularly captivated by the class on investigative journalism taught by Pulitzer Prize winner Bob Woodward. His insights into uncovering the truth may have transformed the way I approach each episode here. What's incredible is that 88% of members feel that Masterclass has made a positive impact on their lives. And trust me, I'm one of them. The depth of knowledge and practical tips I've gained have boosted my confidence and enriched the content that I bring to you every week. As a listener of Haunted American History, you get an exclusive 15% off an annual membership. Just visit masterclass.com slash haunted. That's masterclass.com slash haunted to save 15% on limitless learning. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you going to lose? Don't wait. Join me and start transforming your passions into expertise by visiting masterclass.com slash haunted. I'll see you there. November was coming to a close, and the birthing day ceremony was inching closer day by day, and there really hasn't been much progress. Cordelia was beyond frustrated at this point. If you asked her today what her team would be made up of, at the end she would have guaranteed that it would be her and four wolves, which was an idea that sent a chill up her spine. Not that she didn't like wolves, not at all. Cornelius Medwin was a dear friend and ally during her years as a guardian, but she knew how much trouble Lawman had controlling him. The wolves don't take well to authority, and do not like to be led by someone who isn't in their pack. Having four of them to wrangle left something to be desired. Shelly was a wild card. If she played it smart, she could make it and survive the ordeal. Frankie stood over her and the wolves were very hesitant to engage with the robot. She would bark commands at it and it seemed that the robot had a new trick during every practice. Zack was athletic, yes, but unlocking any abilities in the boy so far has garnered no results. His father didn't have much in the magic department, not like his mother but he was a fierce warrior. Zack shows glimpses of this, but he has zero patience and no battle wits. He often rushes in headfirst and hopes for the best. 
In practice, he is often eliminated first. Even before Abe, who has zero magic abilities and no athletic prowess to speak of. His strategy seems to be stick close to Shelly and Frankie, but the robot is only designed to protect his master, and Abe is often left on his own. The wolves toy with this boy often. The Medwins are, well, the Medwins. The boys can battle. Their transition from boys to wolves and then into their feral form is seamless. And they can pop back and forth on a whim. When they are feral, they have a harder time controlling their instincts and will often fight with each other as they get too close to one another. But their savagery is second to none. Cordelia strongly feels if left alone with these boys in feral form, she would be given a run for her money. Zack was feeling really down on himself after this last practice. He is out of his element. Six weeks ago, he was sitting around his kitchen table with his parents and his sister as they were trying to guess what kind of haunted house his parents were going to put together this year. He missed them so much. He needed his mother now more than ever. She would know exactly what to say, have the advice he so desperately ached for, or she would just simply sit there and listen to his problems with that smile of hers on her face, and at the end she would just nod and say, I love you. And somehow, that would be all that he needed. He knew the holiday banquet was tonight. It's all anyone could talk about for the last few days. And he was hoping that maybe he would be able to take his mind off things, if just for one night. There would be a feast and music, a celebration to kick off the holiday season. He was very curious about what the holidays looked like over here. As her students made their way out of the training hall that was magically turned into a swampy forest, nursing their bruised bodies and egos, Cordelia spoke into the air. You're getting sloppy, old man. I sensed you 15 minutes ago. From behind one of the conjured trees, Lawman steps into the light. Zack looks over his shoulder as he reaches the door and spots the man who looks very different from the images that he had projected into his mind by Madame Rosamond. Firstly, his left arm was missing above the elbow, and he looked to have some kind of tank sitting on his back with a hose that stretched around to the front of his throat. I've been here for over an hour. You're in trouble, Delia. Too many wolves. Too many sheep. Cordelia notices Zack and waves her hand and the door closes in front of the boy, blocking his view. Need I remind you, Cornelius is a wolf and he was one of your best pupils. They're not ready. They won't be ready and I can't help you. There are talks all around the realm. Activity in long dead places. The scorched lands are bubbling over again and there are rumors of a seer. A seer? There can't be. There is. The veins were too well hidden. Only a seer would be able to find their tear. The attack was too deliberate, too precise. There was purpose behind it. The purpose was to bring back your father. Vlad is dead. For now. But you know better than anyone that he has been dead before and returned. That was different. Times were different. The sacrifices it would take to return him is something the humans wouldn't sit idly by and watch. This isn't the Middle Ages anymore. They can and will fight back. How's the boy? He's struggling. He doesn't think. He's all reaction. Sounds like someone I know. And it was you, old man, who showed me how to think. Then you should know exactly what to do. I won't lie to you, Delia. You have your work cut out for you. And your wolf problem is something that you need to take care of. You and a team of wolves is your worst case scenario. If it comes down to you and the pack, or the world in the pack, they will choose the pack. I have more faith than you do. You always did. Any whispers of the girl? 
very odd. Either she is being kept somewhere far, far away from here, or she never made it through, and she is lost in her own world. My eyes are open, though. Never I can spare them. Thank you, my friend. I'll find her. Now go. You have a banquet to attend. Oh, why don't you join us? Can't. Heard whispers that Cornelius has resurfaced, and the fact that his pack doesn't know troubles me. I'll be paying him a visit tonight. Okay, but be careful, won't you? Always. And I can still draw with my right. Later that night, Zack was up in his room, getting ready for the banquet. His godmother had gifted him a pretty sharp-looking suit, and he was admiring himself in the mirror. This was the most normal he felt in a long time. He started to imagine this is what it would have been like to get ready for his prom, and his mood changed. Imagining his parents waiting to see him, picking up his date, whomever that would have been, and meeting up with his friends made him long for a life that had felt like was so long ago. A knock at his door snapped him back into the moment. It was Abe. Standing there in a white tuxedo, which contrasted sharply against Zack's black suit. Hey, Zack. You look great, man. You ready to go? Hey, yeah. You look sharp, too. Thanks. My grand bought it for me, the boy said proudly. They made their way down into the Stoker dorm's common room, and just making their way down the stairs from the girls' dorm was Shelly. Zack's jaw hit the floor. Her hair was down, and she had a flower crown of yellow lilies sitting atop of it. She had on a black velvet gown that stopped above her knees and continued to the floor in black lace. The lace also draped down her arms in flared sleeves. She looked gorgeous. Zack and Shelly have been getting close as the training has been going on, and he learned they had a lot in common. Most importantly, they both shared the same sense of humor, and they both couldn't stand Xander. Frankie was lumbering behind her with a bow tie clipped to his enormous neck. You look amazing, Zack said admiringly. Thanks. You guys look so good. Zack deflated a bit from the blanketed comment. Your eye looks better, Abe. Yeah, it's getting there. I cover the bruise with makeup, Abe said proudly. Abe suffered a black eye after running into Frankie's elbow, trying to escape an attack from Xander during practice. Frankie reacted, but only because Shelly was standing nearby, and threw his elbow back into Abe's face before his hand grabbed Xander and propelled him across the training hall after detaching from Frankie's wrist in a rocket blast of fire. Shelly stood in between the boys, offering her elbows. Shall we? They all linked arms and made their way to the banquet hall. The hall was decorated like a winter wonderland. There were pine trees and wreaths hanging on the walls, wrapped in ribbons and draped with lights. Soft candles glowed on every table in candelabras cascading with tinsel. Abe took leave of his friends to take his seat, while Shelly and Zack walked arm in arm up to their table up front. The room was abuzz with chatter. Everything from talks about how great everyone looked to the upcoming holiday break, which Zack and the rest of the trainees would be skipping to stay back and continue their training. Not that Zack had anywhere to return to. The attention of the students was brought to the front of the room suddenly when all of the teachers and staff materialized in front of the room with Cordelia at their head. Students... Thank you all for being here. I will keep this short as I know you are all eager to feast and mingle. The sooner we eat, the sooner we can dance and enjoy the company of our friends. This celebration every year marks a special time. A time when we can come together. And yes, there are changes coming. No point in denying it. But I truly feel, from the bottom of my heart, that they will be changes for the better.
Let us begin the banquet like we do every year, with a conjuring of the inaugural house orchestra and their edition of Pachelbel's Canon in D. The witches and wizards on stage with Cordelia remove their wands and wave them over their heads toward the stage. With that, all the candles blew out and the lights lowered to darkness. The music began as ghostly shapes began to materialize in front of the room. Translucent at first, but then taking solid form. Zack thought to himself that these are like really good holograms. He was really enjoying the show. Shelley slid in close to him, and under the table grabbed his hand and interlocked her fingers with his. He turned to look at her with a smile, but her face was sorrowful. He returned his attention to the stage, and then he saw why. His mother was playing the violin. His breath caught in his throat as a tear began to roll down his cheek. Shelley's hand got tighter. He watched his mother masterfully play the music that used to wake him up most mornings, remembering how annoyed he used to get to be woken up like this every weekend, and how he would give anything to be woken up like this one more time. Then his heart skipped when she looked up from her concentration and made eye contact with him. She's looking at me, Zack said from behind a wall of emotion. She's not sad. She's not really there. This is just a recording. This is where your dad sat. She was looking at him, Shelley answered. Zack watched his mom play. Watched that smile cross her lips as she looked up at him. Watched her mouth. I love you. Zack smiled and looked at Shelley. This was exactly what he needed. Cordelia watched on with tears in her own eyes. Wonderful speech, headmistress, a voice said from Cordelia's left. There stood a short witch wearing a light blue gown, a midnight blue cowl around her neck, her silver hair pinned back. Thank you, Sybil, Cordelia said with a tearful smile. You know you're right, headmistress. I think the change coming will be for the best. <laughs>